0: Hello and welcome to Lady Time. I am Carol Fitzpatrick, your host today, and this show is about midlife and menopause. Today we have the lovely Anya Min with us. Anya just turned 46. She's originally from West Clare and has just returned to live there after living amongst other places, Dublin, Galway, Vietnam and Australia. Moving home, the timing felt right to enjoy a different, more relaxed lifestyle. Onya is an arts professional. She's working freelance at many different projects, including producing for theatre, live music and visual art. Although in recent years, she's moving more into community development and activism work. She's happiest being out in nature, being creative and taking in the Atlantic coast and being around friends. Of course, pre-COVID times. Um, Can't wait for that to come back in. (laughs) Uh, Time with friends. Currently, Anya is working for Changing Ireland magazine, a community development and social inclusion publication, as a social media coordinator, and she also writes articles for them. Anya, you're very welcome. Thanks for Thank you. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me. Anya, I suppose what I always do is I start off talking about um, midlife and menopause. Mm. uh, What has been your experience to date? So, um, let me think, I suppose
1: I first became aware of midlife approaching when I was, when I was around 39. And I remember that time very well, because I was really kind of conscious about turning 40. And I was like, I'm not ready to turn 40. You know, it just, fe- it just felt i had so much more in life to do. And I felt like 40 was like a really, you know, kind of pinnacle age. And I was just I I wasn't that uh, happy about it, let's just say. (laughs) But then what happened was when I turned 40, things just really... I felt like I was flourishing in my life. I felt like I was coming into my own. I felt very comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, I felt very alive at that age. And it was just a really uh, unexpected feeling, actually. And um, considering how i sort of there was just this big build up to turning 40 and and i thought it was just going to be a bit depressing but it wasn't it it was a it was a really lovely start to uh this age
0: that sounds great and where were you living when you turned 40
1: so i was living in dublin and um the year before i um i made a big decision in my life and i decided to stop drinking um, I, I decided to give up alcohol, and it wasn't um, a painstakingly uh, long decision. I hadn't been kind of mulling over it for many months. It was just something that happened as a result of me being being depressed. Actually, I kind of went through a fairly uh, heavy few months of of being depressed, and I just was kind of coming out of that. And I was I was thinking, how can I how can I really live my life my best life? And I wanted to give alcohol a bit of a break. And I said, look, just, just take it out of the picture and then you don't have to deal with hangovers, uh, you know, on top of getting over the depression. And it just felt like the right thing to do. But it was literally, I was taking a break from alcohol. And then... That's great. And it's been amazing. Like it it really kind of changed my whole outlook. It changed my outlook on myself. And um, yeah, so, so like when I was 40 in Dublin... I began to develop um, a project called Sober Sessions, which was kind of exploring the whole live gig scene in uh, unlicensed spaces. So that's kind of what it was just, it was an amazing time for me. It was a very rich, very productive, very um, rewarding time to develop that project. Yeah, as a result of a kind of a personal sort of decision, you know. That's
0: great. And did you use... um 12 steps or groups or anything to help you no, no I didn't I, I kind of I I didn't give it
1: up in that kind of context I gave it up as a sort of a I gave it up because I felt that I needed to look after myself and I needed to look after my well-being and my mental health and um, it, it just it, it was literally that so the, it wasn't easy by the way you know I'm kind of I'm describing it in a very kind of idea, idyllic way it wasn't easy you know and my so my whole social life completely changed and I I, I remember the first couple of times I was in a pub I felt really uncomfortable and just people around me and people kind of ask asking me why and you know I was questioned a lot actually about why I was doing this, you know, as if I was trying to make some sort of statement, but it wasn't like that at all, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and I did, I I, I, uh, did a six week meditation course as part of my my new journey into it. And it was amazing. It really helped me along because it was, it definitely wasn't an easy thing.
0: Um, Um, Oh, yeah, that's amazing that you gave up alcohol like that and that you got into something really productive like um sober sessions they sound great uh, yeah and- so um I started
1: uh, developing the project uh, with um, the Fumbly exchange, which were um, uh, remote working kind of Hub in in the centre of Dublin, and they really helped me to kind of um, galvanise the project, and they gave me a lot of advice, and it was just a really um, collaborative effort at the start, at the start, and in fact for the whole thing. Um and I put on the gigs in very small little um spaces like uh I put it on in the upstairs in Cornucopia, I put it on in um a small little theatre space in uh, Portobello, uh and I actually put it on a couple of times in a in a pub, which was interesting given that there was no alcohol allowed. Um, so yeah, it was a really, um, I suppose in the end, it was just a kind of, uh, it was a kind of an experiment to see what the, the feedback was like and see how people responded to it. And it was, I was amazed how how people reacted to it and how people were just like, yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. You go to a gig and you wanna hear the music. thats That's a no brainer you know because unfortunately in my experience and I've been going to gigs for years that gigs tend to be kind of disruptive and kind of there's a lot of boozing and there's a lot of clanking of the glasses and you know I just wanted to to really hone it into the music and to the listening experience
0: yeah yeah that sounds great that sounds really um we, a really creative way of uh, bringing something forward from you giving up booze to actually starting something new, and it they sound lovely. And I did hear of that fumbly exchange before. Um, I think a friend of mine was in it. It sounds uh, really creative.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a great it was a great environment to be to be working in, and um, they they gave me the opportunity to work from there for free um, as part of a scheme that they had for kind of startup projects like mine and it was just I just got great support from them you know really um I don't think I would I don't think I would have been able to to do it and have the confidence to do it without that you know so it was very it was a very uh productive and rewarding time in my life actually yeah
0: okay so um at thirty nine and forty you you felt things were going to change and and you, you you were saying that you know you weren't looking forward to turning forty, but then it was yeah. a really positive thing Did yeah, you, have you had any physical symptoms? yeah, I mean, so i suppose um
1: for the last couple of years um for the last two or three years, unfortunately, I have experienced very um very very debilitating, um, hormonal sort of a condition that has kind of uh, knocked me for six, to be honest. It kind of, it has been fairly gradual sort of since my my early fours, since I was about 42, I've noticed that my PMT was getting, was getting worse and um it's kind of i suppose it's it's a little bit hard to talk about because i 'm kind of still in it, so it's kind of like i'm experiencing it i 'm living it now and i'm trying to figure out what is the best what is the best treatment for me to try and live my life to to the full and um, because when i when I have this i can 't really live my life to the full, so it is quite a an extreme thing to go through every month. Um, I usually go through about a week of um, just grappling with it to be honest, you know so physically and physically, not so much actually I mean you know I get the usual bloating and headaches and stuff like that, but it's really it 's really a, a psychological mental health kind of thing where it just brings up very very strong feelings of um depression and uh, anxiety and despair I mean that's one of the words that I would use a lot to describe so yeah I and I'd never experienced it to that level so this is on it this is PMT on a whole other level which you know and I've had bad PMT all my life but this was like something I'd never experienced before you know
0: And sorry to hear that. Um, It sounds very intense and I I really hope that uh, you find some way through it and I know you will. Um, Yeah, thank you. From what I experience of you is that you will find your way um, and it seems from talking to other women that they go through a process of trying out different things and then they find the solution so hopefully you'll enjoy the process of finding it and that you will. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, I feel, I feel for the first time just recently that I'm kind, I'm, I'm kind of getting on top of it. Like I'm kind of, what I mean by that is I'm, I'm really committing. I'm, I'm making commitments for myself to try and try and tackle this in the best way that I, that is right for me. You know, like Mm -hmm. I go and get, I get regular acupuncture treatment. I've now kind of adjusted Mm -hmm. my diet so that I'm not. I don't have a lot of sugar in my diet at the moment, and that's been a challenge, to say the least. But it, it is something that I'm willing to to try to see
0: if if it can reduce the symptoms in any way. So yeah, yeah, great. And um, that's something that I I have done well, try to do. I mean, you know, I, I I do eat sugar when I get I get uh, wayward and eat sugar, but it is something that I am. Um, have given up for the most part is sugar since, uh, being met perimenopausal. And, um, I, I you just look great. I'm looking at you now, your skin looks amazing. So oh, thank you, you. Is obviously,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I mean, it's funny with this hormonal thing. I'm, 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 I don't recognize myself because I'm, I'm so, kind of in a state to be honest but when I'm not I mean I'm great like I feel I'm I'm full of life and I'm full of vibrancy and and life feels great so it's it's kind of weird because I almost don't recognize myself when I'm in that state you know so yeah yeah. Yeah. but when I'm good I'm good definitely yeah
0: and and like before you went into um Becoming forward, it, it might be your transition into a new you, you know, that this this time, hopefully that's you know, that it'll be a transition into a new you where you feel totally energized and Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I hope so too. Well keep us posted on that actually. I will, I will, definitely. Yeah. So um you have done a lot. I mean, I I remember uh you were an actress on the stage and a fantastic actress. Uh, you have done different careers.
1: I have yeah
0: I have you're right
1: yeah I mean I I gave the acting a bit of a go in my I'd say from my early 20s up until my late 20s I was kind of dabbling in and out of it Um, and I kind of gradually decided that it wasn't for me in so far as I found it just quite I found the rejection part of it quite difficult. I found the, like, I always had a belief that I could act. I always knew that my acting skills were fairly good. But in terms of the business itself, I just felt like I was not really cut out for it, that it just was too brutal and it was too, there was so, there was so much insecurity in it that I just felt it, it, was, it was not the right fit for me. But um, I loved it and I love theatre and I still do and I still work in it and I'm still great friends with, with, you know, uh, the theatre community and I just, it it will always be a massive part of my life for sure.
0: Yes, because I remember you on stage and you were absolutely fantastic. And um well I suppose it's great you're still in it because then you understand what actors are going through, what they've come through to get to the point where they're in a production and uh, all the all the insecurities that go with the process as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a it's a very tough and I think I think it's it was it's a tough industry for women as well. Excuse me, I'm just gonna take some water. Oh. It's a tough industry for women, um, I think um and i found it tough as a as a sort of a woman in my a young younger woman in my 20s i just i just found it very you're, you're insecure at that age anyway and for me having double and triple insecurities on top of that was just a bit too much you know so oh, yeah. uh, but no regrets and like my training were one of my the training years i did like three years of training in dublin they were definitely some of the best years of my life and I still have long long long-term friends from that time you know so
0: yeah great Um, and then you've got you've moved into activism yeah I have (laughs) very
1: uh I suppose in a way kind of unexpected like I've always I've always um I grew up um my my mother is a is a fairly well-known community development woman and she's always instilled those values into us growing up and you know travelers rights and human rights and it's always been a big part of my life you know um so um how I got involved in community activism was last summer um I had returned from a month a very amazing month working in Venice Um, and I came back from that experience just kind of on a high going oh my god it was so amazing but back to West Clare, back to kind of what am I going to do now with my life kind kind of bit and um, anyway uh, I, I was approached by myself and my mother and a few other local people were approached by Clare. Public Participation Network, who asked us, would, would we be interested in meeting some new um, residents of a newly opened Emergency Direct Provision Centre? So we went and we met them and we talked to them and we we asked them what they needed and what they wanted from us as a community and how how what supports they needed, basically. And it kind of grew from there. It became this big, um, very positive, very uh, lively, vibrant, amazing project uh, that involved like coffee mornings and drumming workshops and dance. And it was just a really powerful experience to be in my hometown, which is a rural town in the West of Ireland, and being surrounded by these people from all parts of the world who, you know, who were, were here under extremely difficult circumstances. And, you know, I, I need to emphasize that, you know, it wasn't a holiday camp. It wasn't, do you know what I mean? It, at the back of it all was a very traumatic um, life that they had left and they are here to try and make a better life for themselves. Um, so, so you got to know the them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we'd invite them to our homes, and they would cook meals from their home countries. And Carol, it was just—it really was one of the best things I've ever been involved in. Like, even, I, I think about it all the time. You know, I really, it just—it just gave me such an insight into, um. I suppose some, in some ways we don't realize how lucky we are in this country. You know, we, we don't, we, 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 we live our lives as if, oh, you know, we have first world problems. We talk about phone coverage or whatever, you know what I mean? And these people are coming from real life, desperate situations. And a lot of them would have left families behind and wives and children and, you know.
0: Do you know any specific stories, Anya? just to give our listeners Um, an I, I I suppose I do. Um, but
1: I'd be kind of reluctant to say it just because it's, it, it, I'd be very protective of each of their stories in terms of um, sharing it because it, that's their story. That's their story to tell, and I actually when I speak with we call them the lads when I speak with the lads it's it's very much in the here and now when I talk to them it's usually fairly light and and if they want to talk to me about their their lives and what they left behind they can but i i I generally don't ask them because mm-hmm. I'm conscious of the fact that it it could trigger them into a traumatic headspace or whatever so um yeah i suppose i was just very mindful of of their situation and their their status as well you know
0: well i can only imagine what they went through and uh how the the what was going on in their country uh of origin would have been hugely traumatic to leave families and life behind mm. and the journey here would have been hugely traumatic oh yeah absolutely
1: i mean yeah you can only imagine you can only imagine and you see you see the mediterranean and you see what's happening there and it's it's you know i think i think we need as a society to um to step up our our action and to step up uh, governments really need to step up on on um taking in more people who are coming from those situations you know we're a rich society we can we can do this you know
0: yes Yes. And Anya, do you are you still in contact? Are you still in Boston?
1: Yeah, I am. I am indeed. Um now we um just to kind of give you a, a, just to kind of bookend the the story, um a few of us um campaigned it was a difficult time. Uh, you know, it was it was a difficult decision to to take in such a small uh, community, but we decided that we were going to, to help the men get transferred because that is what they wanted and um you know the campaign lasted about three or four months and it was all during lockdown as well it was all fairly you know we got had COVID on top of everything you know it was it was a very um challenging time for us to try and to try and get uh get the campaign off the ground and um our our final goal was to um was to get the men transferred from very unsuitable accommodation that they were living in and that they had endured an awful lot of uh, difficulties in, uh, particularly in the winter months when they were cold a lot of the time and we had local women bringing in food for them because they weren't being uh, fed adequately. It was, it was a very, very um, dreadful situation to be quite frank with you and um, we were on the ground um, helping these men, supporting them and um, we decided enough was enough mm. so uh, in the end it was the men who decided very very courageously um to speak out on their own behalf and i remember that i remember the day that we realized that they were going to do that and it was just such a game changer and it was such an, a, a pivotal moment in our campaign to to see the men mm. who were terrified that this was going to have an impact on their on their status in Ireland, but they felt that that they needed to do that to um, to add their own personal voices to this situation that they were in.
0: Well, that's a great um, indication of the support that you and your colleagues and your mum were giving them, because they obviously felt supported enough to stand up and say. Uh, use their own voices to say we need to be transferred because there's yeah
1: yeah and it took it took a long time and you know I was very conscious of not pressurizing them into anything that they didn't feel comfortable doing but it, it when it did come it came at the right time and 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 in the end it was what what got them transferred? It was them that did it in the end, and we were just so so proud of them, actually, you know. And through the course of that time, we really got to know them, and we got, you know, we our friendships became very strong, you know. The connection is still there. I'm still in contact with them. We have Zoom catch ups with them every now and again, and they're doing very well. They're doing very well, and they're a lot happier. You can see it in their faces, you know. Although they do miss us, and and we miss them, you know, it's a bittersweet kind of
0: thing you know definitely um well i'm sure they'll be back for a holiday on the west coast when they can and i hope so <laughs> i'm sure what you provided for them with your colleagues was uh unforgettable
1: yeah yeah i mean i they they, they every time we talk to them it's it's uh the main it's the main starter of the conversation, just how thankful they are, you know, and how they've just, just got so much um, gratitude and, um, and like the, the the thing that I've learned most about that experience was how resilient and how strong these people are, Mm -hmm. Ah. how strong they are and how positive even through all that, like, and it was a very difficult time. They would, they still managed to, find time to laugh and tease each other and have the crack you know so i i just i was so inspired by them really was wow that's
0: impressive um and it is that laughter that helps them be resilient i'm sure and that drumming that helps them
1: oh completely we had we had this amazing um brian fleming he's a he's a uh, a very well-known um drumming professional who happens to live locally and he used to run these amazing workshops with his partner who was a dancer and we'd have African dance classes and drumming and it was just I remember I'll, I'll never forget the first day that we did it up, up in the community centre in, in in the town and the place was just electric the atmosphere what you could cut a knife with it was one of the best days I'll ever remember yeah it was amazing it's it's just a pity that there's a there's a an attitude out there that you know people are are ignorant and people are not educated about what um, what the reasons are that these people are 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 coming to our country, you know, and get to know them, get go, you know, I when the whole thing up in um, what was the town in Connemara, in Uigterard, yeah, that was all happening around the time that we were really establishing things here. And actually uh, RTE came down and did a, did a little piece on us because it was so uh, in contrast with what was happening up in the Arts. So, you know, we, we felt like people are missing out if they think that there's any sort of threat or any sort of um, this whole thing of we weren't, we weren't consulted. Um, yeah, it just was in very much contrast to what we were achieving. You know and what what the lads were getting out of our the projects that we were running for them it was a, it was yes, an, it was yes. a two way thing it wasn't just us providing this, we were getting a lot from
0: them as well you know I don't know too much about the the place uhturaraj, but I did hear a woman speak, and she was saying it was mostly that there wasn't the facilities there wasn't enough mm. for facilities and um they weren't um there were, like the, the very small town and for the amount of people they wanted to bring in it, it, they didn't feel like they'd be catered for properly but i'm sure mm-hmm. there there's facets to that uh that that time there was definitely a lot of outrage on both mm-hmm. sides um anyway uh that all sounds fantastic well done and um i think and i hope you uh write a book or make a documentary about that experience because
1: thanks it's... yeah i'd love to do something yeah i i'm i'm mulling over a few little ideas in my head that i'm hoping will go somewhere i don't know where yet but yeah i think it's important that we we try and document it you know because it had a life-changing effect on on a lot of us you know
0: yes uh, i think i think i think those stories need to get out on i don't think people uh a lot of people don't they don't really know what what's going on, you know. They don't meet people who are arriving from other countries. They see them, but they might not feel comfortable to talk to them. And so, your experience would be uh, hugely important in in just integrating. More. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. like,
1: yeah, I mean, anybody who I would encourage anyone who. Has a curiosity to get involved in any local volunteering efforts that are happening around asylum seekers. Um, I think it's a very rewarding experience,
0: and uh, for for everybody. So yeah, definitely, great. Um. So tell me, you also lived, or you also spent time in Vietnam and Australia. I did. Um. So I went
1: to Vietnam in. Uh 2010, I went there uh, very kind of, um, it, it felt very spontaneous at the time. It felt like I didn't really give it a lot of thought. I was just doing it because the opportunity landed on my lap and I was like, okay, I think I'm just going to go for this now. You know, I just, it was just one of those very spontaneous things that happened within six weeks kind of thing. And I went over there to work for the Christina Noble Children's Foundation. And I was taking over from my, a friend of mine, Kierna, who was running the art and music project there for six years previous. And she was coming back here with her husband and um, she thought of me and she said, look, I think, you, I think you can take over and you can do this. And, and that was it. And I, I went over and it was, um, Wow. I mean, I have to say the first few months of living in, in, in Ho Chi Minh City were an absolute, like, I can't even really put it into words how intense it was because I was trying to get my head around uh, the 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 fast paced lifestyle of this massive big city and people everywhere. And you know, motorbikes and not being able to cross the road and the food and the smells. I mean, it was just this sensory overload. And it took me a long time to properly really adapt into that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as that, I was adapting into a new way of working. And I was working in this really incredibly, um, it was a beautiful project, actually. It was working with disadvantaged children who um were part of this art and music project and they would come in and they would do their dance classes and it was a really positive again not too dissimilar to what what i just talked about you know and um, in far as um these children have very difficult lives Um they work on the streets with their parents and you know are, are living in poverty essentially. And, um, this was kind of a chance for them to kind of reconnect with their childhood and get back into just being free spirited and, and dancing and painting. And it was an amazing experience. It really was. And, um, I suppose for me personally, being out there, um, taught me a lot again about, um, resilience and about, uh, overcoming adversity and, and, um, just, yeah, and just how powerful, you know, being creative is and, and having a creative outlet, especially for young children, to be able to express themselves in that way is just it's very empowering for them. You know. Okay. Yeah.
0: I work I work with clients one-to-one and uh definitely have a few clients who are older now but never got the chance when they were younger to be a child. And it is so important to learn to play as a child if you can. Yeah.
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and like uh yeah and that's actually very very true in with their in relation to their lives because they didn't really have a chance a lot of the time to just be kids and just Mm -hmm. so um yeah i was very it was a very privileged time for me actually just to be able to give that give them that opportunity again in life you know and
0: what a privilege you get them
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) It was the hardest. It was one of the hardest places to leave. I tell you, it was. I I try. I think I tried to leave quite a few times. I, I missed Ireland a lot. I missed my family. I felt very far away from Ireland, which, which obviously I was, but I. It was a real tug tug of war thing, you know. I, I I wanted to stay for the kids, but I also miss my family, and I realized, you know, that I needed to just make the decision for myself, and and that was to leave and go back home. And uh, it was a hard, hard decision to make. Definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah, I imagine those lovely children. Well, Mm -hmm. and they'll probably come on holiday sometime to see you. (laughs) Oh, wouldn't it be amazing? I'd love to see them. Oh yeah and in Australia, did you do something similar? No, Australia was more
1: um that was more me having the first experience of living away uh, abroad. That was my first time living away from Ireland, and it was really just that moment in my life where I just wanted to be a free spirit and go off travelling and get up to dividend and, you know, let my hair down. And I was in my mid twenties, I think I was about 25, 26. And that was the time when everybody was doing the one year work and holiday visa. And I just was like, okay, I better just do this. This sounds like great. crack So off I went. And, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was very much about the experience of just living there and traveling around a bit. And, um, I didn't do any voluntary work or I didn't work in those kind of, um, feels at all I just uh, it was more of a personal kind of uh, journey of discovery and trying to uh, figure out actually what I wanted to do with my life and um, at that point I was still kind of in the theatre world and I was still wondering if acting was for me and I decided then that I, I, when I was there I decided
0: that I wanted to kind of move on from it and uh, yeah great oh well done so Onya what would be your greatest challenge in life so far oh it's a big question isn't it um I
1: I would have to say this time that I'm in at the moment is very challenging I'll, I'll have to admit that you know um I love being in my 40s I love um the fact that I'm comfortable in my own skin and I have a lot of great friends and I have great family and I have a lot to be great, grateful for and thankful for but you know in terms of this phase that I'm in uh with my hormones and with this the changes in my in my body and um yeah it's it's very very challenging you know um and uh I I do have a lot of hope that I can overcome it and that I can find the right um, treatment to live my best life again. But right now, at this juncture, I'm just, things are are, are and can be quite
0: challenging. But I yeah. do have hope yeah. at the end of that. I do have hope, yeah. I hope so too, and I know so. I know so, yeah. You will get through this time. Um, what has been an achievement you're particularly proud of, Anya? Um,
1: I would have to talk I would have to say sober sessions I mean like it just it it just was a moment in my life where I I came into my own and I felt very um alive and very um very proud that I came up with this this idea and that would help people in some ways, you know I mean there's a lot of people in the in in society who can't go to pubs because of whatever reason who can't go to live music because there's a pub there's drink connected to it, and I felt that it just um it was just something that I had a really strong instinct for and um, i I was proud that i that I kept the belief alive that it was something that I felt could work and I suppose the moments that really um tops that was when I pitched this this idea around sober sessions to a live audience and it was part of a social entrepreneurs um live um seminar thing <clears throat> where three startups were allowed to speak about their project and then the audience would vote for the best one And I won and um, I've never won anything in my life. (laughs) And I was the most nervous I've ever been, ever. I thought I was going to fall with the nerves. I was so nervous. But um, just that feeling of being on my own, on the stage, reading out my notes about why I did this. And the personal journey that I went on to achieve it, and to try and to make sure that the vision of it was 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 there. It was just an amazing moment. I that moment in particular. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a special special time, and I. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I think that's probably one of the the standout ones for me, for sure. Well, that's pretty impressive, <laughs> if I may say so myself. Onya, what would uh what visions and hopes and dreams do you have for the future? For the future. Um I I would like to see
1: um more equality in our society. I um you know, even things like this, Carol, like it's very empowering to be able to speak to you today about life in in this age that we're in, you know, and I would like to see more of this kind of thing happening, you know, because it's, it's important that, um, women have a voice, actually. It's really important that women have a voice. And I see it time and time again that, um, women in our society are being challenged in every corner that they turn, I feel. And, um, where am I going with that? I just, um, would you like to do (laughs)
0: podcasting as well on? um, Well,
1: maybe you never know. You never know. Yeah. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Yeah. 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 So just like what I was, uh, what I want to say as well is that women tend to suffer in silence. Um, particularly around this time when when it is challenging and we we do have a lot of things to to deal with. um, I think it's important that we're able to um, speak with other women and get our
0: our voices heard. That's what I wanted to say. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, that sounds great. And I look forward to listening to you or watching you and uh, enjoying conversations that you have because you have a real connection with people. Uh, it sounds like you have a real connection with people, whether they're children or women or men or what age they are and uh, helping people dance um, and, you know, encourage music, sober sessions where people get to really enjoy themselves couldn't be more healing, I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people actually said that as well, you know, and it was interesting to get the feedback from the musicians themselves. You know, because a lot of them would would regularly play in pubs. And I remember one man in particular saying it was a really intense experience that, to be playing my music and everybody was listening. Everybody. So he was quite blown away. By that. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should revive them. Who knows?
0: Absolutely. Isn't that incredible? Of course, because people will be distracted and making noise and ch- shouting and yeah. of that when they're drinking at a, a gig. Yes. Yeah. Um, would you have any nuggets of wisdom, Anya, for um, the younger generation or any generation, actually? Um, I think. Um, I think this
1: age that we're in. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, our age. I'm talking about the social media age and technology and this spotlight being on us. Twenty four seven, and I think especially especially for younger women, it must be extremely challenging. Um, and I, I, my, my dreams and hopes for younger women coming, growing up in that way, is that they're kind to themselves and that they um, don't compare themselves to other women that they um, value themselves and are able to stand up for themselves. Mm. And that's mm. what I would hope that, And you know, I, I think particularly about my own nieces, you know, that's what I, I want them to become strong, independent women. And, um, you know, have those values in their life. You know, I think it's important.
0: That's very good advice. I think we all need that advice. Uh, learn to be kind to ourselves and, uh, you know, stand up for ourselves when we can. And uh, I think uh, no better woman to help us with that, Anya. Uh,
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: You're amazing and you, your talents and your skills and the work you've done is incredible. Yeah, Actually, I never asked you about the magazine that you're working on. Oh, yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I work for um, a community development
1: uh, magazine called Changing Ireland which um, I started uh, the role two days before the last lockdown. (laughs) So it was a really um, unusual uh, set of circumstances to be starting a new job, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, so it's quite a small publication insofar as as it's just uh, myself and the editor that are uh, regularly kind of bouncing ideas off each other. And I also write articles for them. Um there is an editorial team as well um, but but uh, myself and Alan are uh, we work very well together and um, it's it reflects uh, social inclusion it reflects um, community development projects that are happening particularly around Covid and around lockdown and how people have been coping uh, essentially so you is know, it an online It's not actually, it's a physical publication, but um, we do have it available on our website, changingireland.ie. So if anybody's interested in checking out some of the articles, you'd be more than welcome to to check that out.
0: Sounds great. Changingireland.ie. Any other um, uh, websites or uh, social media you want to... I mean, I'm on Twitter. On your in, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh,
1: if people want to get in touch with me those ways, they can. Um, I'm I'm a freelance worker. I write articles, as I said. I'm 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 very interested in developing my um, my writing uh, skills and my writing. Um, I suppose my professional writing uh, life. I'd like to develop that more. So yeah, for sure, people if they
0: want to get in touch, they can i look forward to reading your what 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 your articles and your books and whatever else you produce on it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you uh, thank you carol Um it's been really lovely and
1: um i think what yourself and jill are doing with this podcast is fantastic so congratulations to both of you it's, it's brilliant
0: thank you thank you very much well it's very enjoyable i must say so uh Well, I will say goodbye for now and um, thank you for joining us, Sonia. And this is Carol Fitzpatrick signing off for Lady Time. If you enjoyed our conversation, please tune in again for upcoming shows and please share the link with your friends. Thank you for listening.